Chapter 9 of The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Greg Giordano. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Louis Albert Banks. The Three Most Notorious Bad Bargains in History. Esau despised his birthright. Genesis 25.34 They covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. Matthew 26.15 What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8.36 Man is a born traitor. Children begin to bargain with their toys in the nursery. From the very beginning of life to its end, man is seeking to better his condition by exchanging what he has for something else. This bargaining instinct was never more thoroughly developed than in our own time. It is peculiarly a commercial age. All parts of the world are coming under tribute to commerce. Every new island every additional square mile of territory that comes under the dominion of the flag is carefully investigated and measured from the trade standpoint by the merchant in addition things that used to be thrown away and wasted are becoming articles of commerce under the quickened inventive touch of modern science nothing now is wasted in many of the great departments of food product a beef steer goes in on one side of a building as a fat steer, and comes out on the other as beef steaks and leather and buttons and glue and brushes. Nothing is wasted. Everything has gone into bargain. Preach as you will against the bargain counter. It is always the crowded corner of the store. It is an illustration of a deep instinct in humanity. But man's instinct is to make good bargains and not bad ones and it is concerning the danger of bad bargains that I wish to speak to you at this time. The most notorious bad bargain that comes to us from the olden time is that of Esau, who sold his birthright to Jacob for a mess of pottage. Esau was a hunter. He liked the excitement and freedom of the chase. He liked the uncertainty and the enthusiasm of hunting for big game. No doubt the little tinge of danger there was in it spiced the joy of it for his wild and daring spirit. Many of us know how to sympathize with him in his love for the free and untrammeled and unconventional. One day he came home from the hunt, having had bad luck. He had found no game and was tired out and in low spirits. He found Jacob, his brother, a quiet, shrewd, calculating sort of fellow, making pottage of some sort of coarse vegetables, lentils perhaps, and he asked for some. Jacob, ready to drive a sharp bargain, said, Sell me thy birthright. And so Esau, caring nothing for the birthright, having a contempt for it in his heart, sold it to Jacob for a mess of pottage. The incident comes in the record by the simple statement of our text, Esau despised his birthright. The second bad bargain, which has attained a like notoriety 
is the bargain which Judas Iscariot made when he betrayed Jesus Christ to his enemies for thirty pieces of silver. There are a great many conflicting opinions concerning Judas. Some people believe that he was thoroughly bad from the beginning, that he followed Christ and became one of his disciples purely for what he could make out of it, and was always and everywhere a scoundrel. Other people believe that Judas was, like most other folks, both good and bad, and that at first he was an honest follower of Christ, but that his besetting sin was greed. He loved money. He liked to feel its weight heavy in the bag. He liked to see it slip through his fingers as he counted it in little heaps. This grew on him, and as Christ became unpopular, and Judas believed that he would be arrested anyhow, he conceived the brilliant scheme of making some money out of it, and putting himself solid with the government after Christ had been condemned. I do not know which any of these is right, but, as I have never found any man without some good qualities in him, I am inclined myself to this latter idea. However it may be, Judas evidently allowed his love for money to overcome his sentiments of gratitude, and deliberately made up his mind to bargain off the liberty of Jesus by betraying him into the hands of his enemies. There is something very repulsive and loathsome in the way he did it, his slipping away from the table at the Last Supper, where he had broken bread with Christ as one of his dearest friends, and his selecting a kiss of seeming love as the mode of betrayal, have stamped the transaction as one of the basest and most treacherous betrayals in the history of mankind. Now, the point I wish especially to bring to your thought in regard to each of these bargains is that they turned out to be very bad bargains and very unsatisfactory to the men who made them. Yet each man got what he had covenanted for. Esau got his pottage and went away strong of limb from a hearty meal. Judas got his thirty pieces of silver, every one of them. No attempt was made to cheat in either case, and yet afterward both men realized that each had cheated himself and had great sorrow over his bargain. Esau sold something he did not care for and got what he wanted at the time. His birthright was a contemptible thing in his sight, and the pottage seemed very desirable. And yet we are told in the New Testament that there came a day when he was in great agony over the trade he had made, and that he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it carefully with bitter tears. It seems to have been not only a bad bargain, but a fatally bad bargain for Esau. We have an equally tragic case in relation to Judas. He got his thirty pieces of silver, and was at liberty to go about his business. But he was not happy. He could not find rest day or night. Esau despised his birthright while he had it. Judas despised his Lord while he was his disciple. But now that he had sold him and got good money in his pocket, Christ never seemed so beautiful and so noble to him, and the opportunity of being his disciple never appeared so precious. He went to and fro like a wild man. He could not eat, he could not sleep, and for the first time in his life, the consciousness that he had money failed to give him any pleasure. Finally, he seems to have had a dream 
of being able to rue the bargain and undo the horrible deed he had done. He went back to the priests who had made the trade with him, with the money in his hands, and wanted to trade back. He said, I can't keep this money. I have betrayed innocent blood. But they treated him with brutal coldness and disdain. They turned on him with contempt and said, See thou to that. What is that to us? Poor Judas realized then what a bad bargain he had made. Unable to undo the deed and get out of his bargain, he was determined to at least get rid of the money, and so he flung the silver pieces that he had sold his lord to get down on the floor in the presence of the men who had bribed him, and went away and hanged himself. Surely there could not be two more unsatisfactory bargains than we have outlined in these cases. There is no light on the black clouds that hang over their sky. I have brought these two bargains before you, because they are illustrations of the danger each of us is in of making a bargain of the same kind. Esau is not the only man tempted to sell his birthright. Judas is not the only man in danger of betraying his lord. The same temptation comes to every one of us. We need to be alert and watchful and on our guard, lest we make the same awful blunder and bargain away sacred and holy things, for that which will only curse us in the having. Judas associated with Christ for years, and must have been many times greatly moved by him, and influenced by him, and yet finally sold him for money. Are we not in danger of allowing the love of this world's things to lead us to exchange our religious peace, and our joyous fellowship and communion with Christ, for the glitter and display of earthly things? Travelers tell us that the constant rubbing of the sand on Egyptian hieroglyphs removes every trace of color, and even effaces the deep-cut characters from basalt rock. So there is great danger that the worry and hurry and competition of our everyday lives shall act on our spiritual nature as sand upon the hieroglyphs of the desert. If we are not careful, they will take away the flush of fervor and the bloom of joy from our religion. A visitor went one day into the studio of a great artist, and saw on his easel some very fine gems, brilliant and sparkling. On being asked why he kept them there, the painter replied, I keep them there to tone up my eyes. The tone of the eye is brought up again, just as the musician, by his tuning fork, brings his strings up to concert pitch. So, if amid the sandstorms of these toilful lives of ours we are to retain the rich radiance of the soul, and keep our spiritual eyesight toned up, we must keep before us the vision of the Christ, and not allow ourselves to make the fatal bargain of losing our own soul in exchange for the perishing treasures of the world. A connoisseur in spiritual things says that one of the first discoveries made by some, as they look at the soul's features in the glass of Christ's perfect law of liberty, is that from some cause the once brilliant hues of their spiritual life are becoming dim, the tone of a richer, fuller experience is being lowered, and the whole temperature of their holier lives is gradually 
but surely going down. We are told by a recent writer that at the foot of a cliff, under the windows of the castle of Miramar, for merely the residence of the Mexican emperor, Maximilian, at a depth of eighty feet below the surface of the clear waters of the Adriatic Sea, is a kind of cage fashioned by divers in the face of a rock. In that cage are some of the most magnificent pearls in existence. Having been left unworn for a long time, the gems lost their color, and the experts were unanimous in declaring that the only means by which they could be restored to their original brilliancy was by submitting them to a prolonged immersion in the depths of the sea. For a number of years they have been lying in the crystal depths, and are gradually regaining their unrivaled beauty and splendor. What a story of the loss of color of rich experience, and of high spiritual excellence, does this incident of the famous jewel suggest. Oh, my brother, my sister, you cannot afford to exchange beauty of soul, sweetness of character, true purity and gentleness of spirit, for any worldly display, however brilliant it may be. At the last, you will realize that the fatal bargains of Esau and Judas were not more tragic and terrible than those suggested in our third scripture. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Every day we see men who have bargained away their freedom and liberty of spirit for the fearful bondage of iniquity. A celebrated detective tells in his memoirs how once, having discovered his man, he joined himself to him as a boon companion, went with him to his haunts, secured his confidence by long friendship, until at length, when all suspicion had been allayed, he got him, as a mere jest, to try on a pair of handcuffs, and then, snapping the spring that locked them, he took him, all helpless as he was, an easy prey. So there is many a sin that captures its poor slave in that way. It first fascinates the soul and leads it in paths of pleasure, thus drowning a man's fears and drugging his sense of danger, until the handcuffs of habit slip about his wrists, and the man's freedom is a thing of the past. Many such a poor bondman will agree with me that Esau was not a greater fool when he sold his birthright for a mess of pottage, or Judas more desperately cheated when he sold his lord for thirty pieces of silver, than he who, for a few passing hours of sinful pleasure, barters away noble character, peace of soul, and immortal joy. End of chapter 9 Read by Greg Giordano, Newport Ritchie, Florida